And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Gene, I want to apologize. I think in my sleepiness I mismarked the Bible and I'm so sorry for throwing you off on that one. That was my fault. So um, where my parents live in Wisconsin is called Lake Country. There's, you know, they call Minnesota the land of lakes, but Wisconsin has more lakes. <laughs> um, and in high school, that we used to go to this beach. That's, well, there's, there's, a, there's a beach two blocks from my parents' house on this beautiful little Wisconsin lake, uh, public access. We used to go there all the time, just on the summers and the evenings, just all the time. Um, and I remember distinctly, I must have been about 15, I think, and I, I must have heard a sermon about St. Peter or faith like Peter or something like that. And uh, I was at the beach one evening, and uh, no one else was around, and I, I sort of got it in my head like, well, Peter had faith to walk on water. So I kind of like went up to the, on the beach to the water, and I was fully clothed. I don't know what I, where I'd been, but I um, fully clothed, and I sort of reached out and I step out with my foot, and of course sank right through. <laughs> Got myself a bit wet. And that's an example of what you're not supposed to do in applying the gospel from this morning's reading. Our Lord does teach us some things in this gospel, but flippantly testing to see if Christians can do magical things uh, is not one of them. Um, But before I actually get into how we do apply this story, I think this is one of the uh, several stories in the Gospels which through uh, over-familiarity, because we've heard about it since childhood, we actually can fail to really grasp the wildness uh, of of this account. So in order to kind of re-hear the scripture again, uh, it's really useful to use our imagination. So as a sort of aid for the first part of what I would like to tell you this morning, I want to just try and stir up our imaginations a little bit uh, to really sink into... Uh, well, that's a bad turn of phrase for the story. But to really, to really sink into uh, this story of uh, Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Um, so I'd encourage you actually to follow along in your bulletins again with me, if you would, opening up to that, uh, that gospel lesson, because I want to point out some of the details as we go. Um, so first, uh, notice that Jesus actually did send the disciples out on their own. And he's the, the son of God, right? He knows what's going to happen. He has full knowledge of everything in the universe, but he permits the disciples to go out uh, into their awful night at sea alone. And notice that in verse 24, it says, you know, evening came and the boat is already being beaten by the waves. Okay, so evening, I don't know, 6, 7 p.m., it's already they're being slammed with wind. If you're on water, wind means waves, right? Wind and waves. But then it just kind of clips to verse 25 and it says in the fourth watch of the night, and if you're not paying attention, that's a big time span, right? The fourth watch, there were only four watches in the sort of breakdown of time back then. They didn't have, wa- they didn't have wrist watches. Um, you just had these watches through the night. And the fourth one was the last one, uh, between 3 and 6 a.m. So it's already the fourth watch. So they've been at, out there all night, okay? And that's an important detail to catch. They've been battling rough winds and waves uh, for hours and hours, and they wouldn't have been in some, you know, sealed modern catamaran. This would have been like the first century equivalent of a John boat, a phrase I just learned uh, from Steve Deckett the other day. <laughs> so doubtless they'd have been taking on water, um, fighting sails, they probably would have been throwing up, uh, and all of this uh, in the darkness of night. So let's say it's four in the morning, there actually would be a real danger of dying. You know, um, 
the Sea of Galilee is not an enormous sea. And if they'd been out there all night, they're not making very good progress. And they would have been wearing themselves out. Danger of dying either from sinking from the water that inevitably would have been coming on board, uh, or just simply exhaustion. It would have been a miserable, really, really miserable scene. And now also bring to mind um, that just four chapters earlier in Matthew, we have told us the account that the la- not long ago, Jesus had been in a boat like that one, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and had personally spoken to the waves and the wind, and they'd instantly ceased. So there's no doubt in my mind that the disciples would have been driving themselves crazy, thinking, why isn't Jesus here with us this time? We know he could, have, he could calm these waves and this wind. Why has he left us by ourselves this time? Are we going to die out here? People died in the Sea of Galilee all the time, by the way, historical fact. Um, and remember that unlike us, you know, we sit here after the fact, the disciples genuinely didn't know how this night was going to end. Jesus hadn't said you know, beforehand, okay, I'll see you out on the water, wait and see. They, they were just another day crossing the lake. So when in total darkness at four in the morning, after being completely exhausted, they see a shadowy figure out on the water, and you think, you know, it's darkness, it couldn't have been that far away in order to be able to see them, to, in order for them to be able to see this figure, they freaked out. And who wouldn't? Why on earth would they think it was Jesus, Right? the language of the scripture seems to imply that they thought it was some sort of like super scary ghost or something, like some sort of spirit of the waters coming to take them down. Who knows actually what they had in their mind, but what the scripture does say is that these tough fishermen who spent their lives on this sea cried out in fear. And not the sort of fear, like that kind of reverential fear, like when Moses sees God on Sinai. They're just afraid. They don't know, what, they don't know that it's Jesus yet. It's dark. They're exhausted. But then through the sound of the wind and crashing waves, this shadowy figure speaks and says, Take heart! It's me! It is I! Do not be afraid. Now, of course, they had spent a decent amount of time with Jesus Jesus at this point. They know his voice. But how could that be Jesus? Jesus was a man, and men don't walk on water, typically. But that was his voice. And he told them to take heart and not be afraid. And this charge to not be afraid, uh, I think sort of at first just calming their fears that he's not some scary sea spirit, but also to not be afraid of the storm. And maybe they're thinking, oh, oh yeah, maybe he'll calm it again. And we don't know what the disciples were thinking. But Jesus is telling them to not be afraid, and they're seeing their teacher and master Jesus walking on the water, so kind of everything's up in the air, right? It's kind of the world has all of a sudden become a big box of unknowns. If Jesus is on the water, well... Okay, maybe we don't need to be afraid. Maybe this will work out. So Peter, hearing the voice of the Lord, with what sounds to me like sort of this funny but really human mixture of faith and doubt together, he kind of just leaps out into this realm of unknowns and says, Okay, Lord, if that's really you, (laughs) command me to come to you on the water. The... um, the strangeness of this uh, request to Jesus should, should really strike us. If you're a career fisherman in the midst of a storm at four in the morning, why would you ever think about getting out of your boat into stormy water? <laughs> I, I imagine the other disciples would have thought Peter had just completely lost his mind. He'd just gone sea crazy. But Jesus uh, takes him up on the request and, and invites him to simply come. And so Peter, 
you know, it's good to kind of picture these things because they're so fantastical that if we don't think about it, it can just be kind of unreal, like in the realm of children's stories. But this really happened. He steps out of the boat, and the surface of the water would have been as hard as the surface we're standing on now. And he walks out towards Jesus. And that, Peter must have been sort of just continuing to freak out, as if they weren't already freaking out enough already, that it's actually working. And he, before long, he comes face to face with his master and his friend. And we know he must have come close to Jesus because in just a moment when he starts sinking, he says, help, and Jesus just grabs him. So he comes out face to face with his Lord. I love trying to picture, what was that brief exchange like? Standing on water, Peter looking at Jesus in the face, standing on water with him. Just trying to think about what that moment must have been like. The moment, um, the sort of, the, the bubble of that moment must have popped and Peter realizes at some point how crazy the whole situation is. He notices again the winds and the waves that are all about him and that he's standing outside of the boat like a madman and he starts to fear and as he fears it, it comes like weights to him and he starts to sink into the water. He starts sinking and he cries out to Jesus standing there, Lord save me! Jesus instantly grabs him by the hand and hoists him back onto the surface of the water. I want to say, I think for a long time I pictured this story, it must have been from one of the Jesus movies or something, that Peter like sinks and he's like, goes fully under and he's like struggling and almost drowning and then the hand comes and pulls him out. That's kind of the visual I had for a long time. But that's actually not, I think, not the right way to picture it. The scripture says immediately Jesus grabbed him. Jesus wasn't like, okay, I'm going to watch you sink for a while. The moment Peter says, help me, Jesus just grabs him and pulls him back up on top of the water. He rebuffs him for having small faith, but they walk back together to the boat. They climb over the hull, and as they do, it says, the wind instantly ceases and all is calm. You know, what could you do in a situation like that if you were there, other than what the disciples did, just fall down and worship Jesus? In their bewilderment at having just seen their friend Peter walk on water, and a storm once again miraculously stopped. They worshipped this Jesus who they knew, and yet they obviously didn't fathom the depths of who this man is. Yet. A man who can not only stop waves, but can walk on them, and actually empower Peter to do so as well. It's kind of a double miracle, right? And as they express in verse 33, truly this man is the Son of God. They're getting it. Only God could walk on water. Only God could reverse the laws of physics, which they know from the thousands of hours they'd spent out on that sea. Only God could cause their friends to do something like it. So it's kind of a wilder story than we kind of conjure, right? When you think about Jesus walking on water, this is a lot more than just the familiar children's tale. So hopefully having a kind of teased it out into three dimensions a little bit, um, I want to talk about what it means for us. And at some level, right, the parallel is intuitive. The story practically allegorizes itself. Jesus, storms, I'm sure we've all heard plenty of sermons uh, on it. But beyond just a general sense of what this uh, story teaches. Um, there's one detail that I want to just sort of look into this morning. And it's just simply this. It's why would you ever, if you're Pete, like Peter, why would you ever get out of the boat? Because surely Peter, with the other disciples, when Jesus said, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid, they could have said, Jesus, do what you did last time. Speak to the waves and the wind. We're freaking out over here. <laughs> But he doesn't say that. He says, Lord, command me to walk out to you. <laughs> and 
I was thinking about this, and I, I think the, only, the best I can think of is that Peter's sort of what he's intending in this sort of strange expression is, Jesus, if I'm going to be in the midst of a storm, I want to be near you. Even if that means doing something crazy, like stepping out of a boat onto water, I want to see your power manifest in the midst of this chaos. If it's you, trump this whole situation. And I think that's, I think Peter sort of manifests here what he would then write about in his letters, which we have in the scriptures, about how a Christian should respond in time of trial. That this is the, the true Christian spirit on full display to say to Jesus in the midst of difficult times, Lord, I, I, I want to be nearer to you in this. Even if it means actually scarier things than what I'm already living within, right? It's like scarier to be out on the water in a storm than in a boat in a storm. Even if it looks crazy to a non-Christian, I want to be drawn closer to you in personal relationship in the midst of what's going on around me. And I think uh, to pray like this, to pray like Peter, it's actually a good sort of healthy prod to our own faith. Peter begins, right, Lord, if it's you, um, which in a life of faith where we can't see Jesus clearly with our eyes, that's an honest prayer in the midst of trial. Lord, is it you? Are, are you here with me? If it's you, draw me to yourself. Allow me to know you and be near you in the midst of this trial. I need some proof. But, but notice that it's not proof, I think, when we ask for proof from the Lord, there's a great danger of saying, Lord, I need proof. You come to me. <laughs> like, we're the boss and he's the servant. But Peter's offer it says, wants proof in the form of, Lord, I need proof. Call me to come to you. Do you see how it's kind of flipped? It's not, God, do something for me. It's, Lord, call me to yourself. Draw me nearer to you in the midst of this difficulty. Show me that you're real by leading me in ways that prove your power and your glory. And I think, you know, it's sort of in that, that, uh, what Peter shows here so perfectly, in the midst of profound turmoil, is that the prayer of faith and and honest struggle, they're, they're sort of humbly intertwined. The crucial thing is simply taking all that we feel and in the midst of trouble and what we long for, the rescue, taking them to Jesus in prayer. Right? Anytime we see a disciple speaking to Jesus in the Gospels, there's sort of a pattern for prayer there, right? Because what is prayer but speaking to Jesus? So this way that Peter speaks to Jesus is a pattern of prayer for us as well. If we cry out to Jesus like Peter does from the edge of the boat, Jesus does honor that cry. The testimony of all the saints is that in the midst of the worst imaginable storms and difficulties, if you cry out to Jesus, he does draw near to you in the deep recesses of the heart, in the sort of unseen places that you could never explain and that any psychologist would say would not know if you're just making it up or not. It's so deep. It can't be seen with human eyes. But the Lord does come and honor that prayer and draws us nearer to himself. Sometimes it actually means greater difficulties, uh, but the result is getting to enjoy the fruit of that cry of faith, which is that nearness, that nearness to the living God, a real friendship, that sort of moment of that face-to-face, Peter looking at Jesus. uh, We can experience that, just as Peter did. I love this gospel lesson as well, because it shows sort of that, you know, um, our pilgrimage of faith 
isn't just sort of this straightforward, like perfect thing. There's this, there's this ups and downs to it. That Peter, he gets spooked by his troubles. He forgets the magnitude that he's sta- of the fact that he's standing on water with the Son of God himself, and he starts to sink. And he prays the same thing, essentially, as he prayed at the beginning. He goes back and he just says, Lord, save me. And I think there again we see this pattern of doubts will come, difficulties will come. The Lord will not seem far away. It will all seem too overwhelming and crazy again. And the prayer is always the same. Lord, save me, rescue me. Now, I think even before he finished the syllable, I just love imagining Jesus' like strong carpenter hand just kind of grabbing Peter's arm and pulling him up just so with our faith he can restore us, he does restore us to an inward stability the moment we really reach out to him with that prayer of save me, the prayer of faith. So um, really what I hope to just uh, impart just a little bit of this morning is that we would sort of seek when uh, storms come, some of you may have storms right now, some of you might be peaceful times, but they will come again. But in the storm that we would have the faith uh, as we prayed in the collect, and, and the love. Think about the love that St. Peter had for his Lord. He's like, okay, I just want to be near you. That's a loving impulse, that we would have a, a love and a courage like, like St. Peter showed uh, on this day that we read about. And then in the midst of sort of imitating St. Peter and his prayer and his faith, um, that likewise, we all of us would come to know our Lord Jesus more nearly and be comforted by his power over what's happening in the midst uh, of anything. Amen.